Welcome to the Worker's Mic on 720 WGN. My name is Ken Edwards. I'm with the Midwest Coalition of Labor. Today with me, as always, I have Ed Maher from the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 150. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, Ken. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you? Oh, doing pretty good. It got a little chilly out. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> it is winter, finally. Yeah, winter's here. That's all right. Yeah, it's okay. We got Christmas lights and Christmas music and all that stuff. And you know what? For the guys that plow snow, we, we did you know that we call it snowvertime? Snowvertime. That's pretty clever. Yeah. I always used to hear people say it snows green in Chicago. <laughs> that's pretty good. Snowvertime. I, I didn't make that up. It was actually a management attorney that made it up. But you imagine, like, you're a guy that's, you know, plowing snow, and it, it is blood money, but... You're making on Sundays and holidays. You're making triple time, and I'm talking triple time of like forty bucks an hour. You're making one hundred and twenty bucks an hour to to plow snow. That, that's not a bad gig. Now, when you're talking, when you say blood money, what do you mean by that? These guys are getting out of their bed the crack of dawn, or they're just on call twenty four seven. I don't know if you remember last year we had like seventeen snow events in, in mm-hmm. a row, and these guys are the ones that are plowing the snow. A lot of municipalities break it down into A and B shift, right? You know, but they're sleeping catches catch can and the big storm. Some municipalities will literally put them up at either hotels or get cots so they can sleep at work right. and they're getting back up to plow snow. Well, I know one of the places that has the biggest snow operations is O'Hare Airport because Absolutely. when they have six inches of snow, you're talking about runways, taxiways, all the gates. There's a tremendous amount of real estate that has to be plowed and they'll, they'll have hundreds of people called out for big snow events and they're sleeping in buses and things like that. that you know, and you know the, the, the machines have heaters, but it's it's not easy work. That's no, for sure. Uh, it's definitely not easy work, and, and they can be out there for days at a time. These guys that are plowing airports or uh, public, you know, streets are plowing them so airplanes can land, so the economy can keep moving, so uh, a school bus can get their kids to school, so a police officer can get to where he needs to go so an ambulance can get to you know the hospital. I mean, so life can proceed as normal. Because you literally have guys out plowing snow. The people behind the scenes keep everything working, as always. Right. And you know what? They deserve every penny they get. So shout out to those guys, and I hope you have a great season plowing snow. Let's talk about something a little more local. Um, Tell me uh, what you know about this solar farm that's going up in Indiana. Yeah, so over in in northern Indiana, in Stark and Pulaski counties, uh, they're building or waiting to build the largest solar farm in america and it's called the mammoth solar project mammoth mammoth that's how big it is it's not just big ken it's mammoth <laughs> what an original name right um but uh so this the developer uh, is a company called doral um and it's out of israel and they had come into the community and gotten a bunch of tax incentives from you know local and state government and gave no assurances apparently that local people would be put to work on this project what does that mean explain what is, what's a tax incentive for a company to come in i mean it, the the incentives that they got varied by uh varied at the different levels of government but um you know they can delay the tax payments on the land or you you purchase the land and there are no property taxes on it it's just it's a way to make the land cheaper and more attractive for the developer to buy because they want that piece of land but it they could locate anywhere so in order to attract this project to northern indiana the developer was given incentives um, and then promptly went out hired a global recruiting firm and started attracting workers from all over the country that would work for less than construction workers in northern northern indiana would work for so it was actually in the news this week um 
there some of the equipment operators are being organized by the operating engineers local 150 where i work um, but uh, the company put out a list of all of the equipment operators that would be voting in this election and, and, would be and, eligible. And, and, and when you say put out a list they didn't just voluntarily hand that list over, did they? Well, no. It's part of the it's part of the process uh, with the National Labor Relations they Board. They have of to an give you a list, right? A, a list of all the employees who would be eligible to vote, um, and it had seventy eight people on it, and seventeen of them lived in Indiana. So the company has put out its own documentation showing that, <clears throat> despite receiving an awful lot of taxpayer funded uh, like incentives. They went out and hired folks from out of state, brought them in, put them up in hotels, and they're working for less than uh, Indiana construction workers. Doesn't that kind of defeat the purpose of these tax breaks that a company would get? I mean, the tax breaks are supposed to keep the money in the community, if I'm not mistaken. Well, right. A tax break is given sort of in exchange to try to attract a project, um, you know, for the for the benefits that the community will receive, whether it's employment, whether it's, you know, economic development, if you're doing like a shopping center or a, uh, you know, an office complex or something like that. Right. Um, but with something like a solar farm, the vast majority of the jobs that are created are temporary construction jobs. There'll be a small handful of people that maintain it permanently, but sure. you know, we're talking about 80 jobs for equipment operators on this thing. And it all went to, uh, almost all, 80% of that went to people from out of state. So meanwhile, you have construction workers in the community who are sitting by, and they're funding these tax breaks. Every every tax incentive or every dollar that a company or a developer doesn't have to pay in taxes has to be made up somewhere else. So, so, so I'm an operator sitting there, and I live three miles from that solar farm. I know how to run equipment. I'm right. in the union. I have literally given part of my tax dollars to this company, which is from, where, Israel? Uh, the developers from Israel, the, um, the the contractor that they have hired is from California. It's called okay. Solve Energy, but it's a joint venture with Aerotech. Where's the governor on this? So I think the there you know local 150 is one union. There are a lot of community groups. Aren't there like the are, carpenters there and electricians? I mean, there's got to be other trades, obviously, not just operators. A lot of trades have an interest in this project. For sure. Um, I know that local 150 has been active, and there are a lot of other community groups have been standing up against this project um, and filed a lawsuit to get it slowed down in one of the counties. But I think the lesson here is that lawmakers, you know, people at various levels of government handed out tax incentives and got nothing in return for it. They they saw the promise of a of a green project that they could cut a ribbon and get elected, and they gave got no assurances in response. So they gave tax incentives, and now all these jobs are going to folks from out of state. Couldn't the governor come in, the governor of Indiana, what's his name, Holcomb? Yeah, it was Governor Could, Eric Holcomb. Couldn't he come in and, and turn this thing around, or at least help to turn this thing around? You know, I think that's the hope of a lot of folks that... Uh, he'll see what's happening on the ground, and, and why doesn't he uh, take a, a page? Take a page from uh, the Biden administration and shove a contract down everybody's throat. Hey, oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah we'll, we'll get to that in a second. The workers' mic right here on seven twenty WGN. You're listening to the workers' mic, powered by the Midwest Coalition of Labor, and sponsored by Megan Financial, Premise Health, and Voya Financial. Welcome back, everybody. 
to the workers mic here on 720 WGN. I'm Ed, sitting next to me is Ken, and uh, we're going to continue with a little bit of conversation about this. Uh, you've probably heard about it, Ken. I know you have. Uh, oh boy, this uh, the the rail strike, not strike, contract. Not right. Contract. This is this has been a saga that's gone on for months. With uh, will they strike? Won't they strike? Um, and it looks like it was settled this week, and not a lot of people are very happy about it. Yeah, I wouldn't call it settled. It's, I'd call it shoved down everybody's throat. Uh, now, the background, real quick, two seconds is the rail workers, and and I'm going to butcher their name, so I'm not going to bother. Well, there are about there are more than a dozen unions. There's that a are bunch of different unions, right? Yeah, with a handful of employers that yep. uh, are railroad owners and operators. And they and they were negotiating, and right. they came up with an agreement, and that agreement was turned down by the membership, which is you know not unusual. It happens, and what happens in that case is then you generally go back to the bargaining table and see if you can figure something out. Sometimes it works. Sometimes the employer will lock you out. Sometimes members will strike. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you go to federal mediation. I mean, there's a number of different ways to get at it. But when the the workers speak and say, hey, we, this, this contract is unfortunately not good enough for us. Oh, and what's the issue? Well, I think the issue in this case was they wanted more sick days. Right, and and the the agreement there was ultimately a, an agreement that was brokered with um, the president stepped in because as we know the supply chain has a massive impact on the economy so I think that he charged uh, his transportation's or his labor secretary Marty Walsh with um, you know brokering an agreement and they they reached an agreement I think it did not have sick days in it which was the sticking point for think, some of those or maybe it had one sick day or something or, like that something like that and and look you know there's going to be varying. You know, opinions on this, obviously. If you're a full-time employee and you're working 40 hours plus year-round, you generally get paid sick leave. It's just kind of that simple. And the norm, at least where I'm from, is a sick day a month. That's what the norm is. Mm -hmm. Um, In the building trades, you know, you don't work, you don't get paid. Right, right. You don't Most get construction sick, workers yeah, you do don't get sick days. Um, but then again, you're not beholden to that particular employer to work your entire career because you know that you're going to work for 47,000 different contractors over your career. You can stop working at any time you want. You can take a week or two off and right. generally you make good money. So the, the, the quote-unquote sick leave is, I guess, sort of baked into the pie because your wages are pretty darn high. Mm-hmm. In, in this case... The workers at these railroads, if I'm getting this right, were saying that we're exhausted, that working shifts, that we don't know when we're working, we're getting called in uh, to come back to work. They're saying that working while you're exhausted, that, that tired, is actually worse than driving drunk. Like it's yeah, literally, it's literally unsafe, and and I think, and they have to travel a lot. I mean, it's not a, a thing where you show up to the same spot every day. You're working all along the railroad. Yeah, for sure. And so, uh, you know, I I don't think their ask was you know terrible, right? I want a couple of paid sick days, and you know, I don't I don't know. It's just it's mind boggling that these companies are making a sick amount of money and it's not like the railroads have said we can't afford to give you paid sick days i well, think, the I think was, it was broken down that to to give seven paid sick days which was what these unions that voted against it wanted it would have been i think less than two percent of you know the total profits that were generated um by these railroads over the course of the past year the railroads have been exceptionally profitable i mean shipping anything anybody who's um, you know, who owns a small business who's tried to ship things or take in raw materials that rely on railroads, ports, things like that. Uh, the prices have gone up 
like crazy in the last year. You yeah, know, there but, hasn't been a lack of demand for shipping. If you look at, right. you know, I was in New York, and you could literally see the, the barges just lined up waiting to get into the ports, yeah. and those things are getting shipped yeah. by, you know, by truck and rail. So, so back to what you said, it's not a big ask, in my humble opinion, but the railroad companies didn't want to do it. They brokered a deal with, you know, like you said, with the uh, Marty Walsh and, and the Biden administration, and that deal was rejected by the workers. And so... Well, that deal. There were there were some unions that accepted it. There were a handful of unions that that voted it down, um, which reintroduced the threat. Back when that deal was struck uh, with the Biden administration, the sense was that okay, we've averted a rail strike that right. you know the the president had said would cost the United States economy around two billion dollars a day, slow down the the shipping of you know drinking water and things that are vital to the economy. So it was in everyone's interest that. Um, that this be settled in some way or another, you know, that this be addressed and not just, you know, hands off, let them go on strike for a month until they sort it out kind of thing. The the, the nation has an interest in, in bringing this to some sort of a settlement is, is where they were at. Yeah. And, and I don't, you know, I understand that concept, but it's, it's what I call convenient capitalism. It's, that's okay. You know, it, it's okay for the government to shove a contract down your throat when, you know, you're not going to get your Tickle Me Elmo quickly <laughs> on Christmas, you know. But, you know. Well, right. The, the settlement that they, were, that they were working toward ultimately was voted down or was, just wasn't accepted by a couple of unions. So at that point, right. um, you know, it's, it's what, as, as the president and, you know, as his administration, what do you do now? Uh, and his immediate response was to ask Congress to... Um, to to push it to impose it without the sick days. I mean, there there was no talk of a compromise. Um, I think they tried. I think there were some folks that tried to get the sick days put into the contract. Well, right, the, and and that was shot down. But when you have people like Bernie Sanders and Ted Cruz voting the same way, right, you know you have a problem. For sure, I, I think I think that the 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 Biden administration had pushed for the agreement with no sick days. You know, the the workers wanted seven, the employers wanted zero. Um, and the thing that has enraged so many folks is that Biden's push was to move forward with zero sick days. And when it passed the House, the House also passed another bill um, that uh, included those sick days. It got to the Senate. Um, the bill to impose the, the, the act to impose the agreement with no sick days passed, I think, 80 to 15 um, with Rand Paul, of course, voting present. Thank you for that, Rand. Always so helpful, Mr. Paul. Um, but uh, the the motion to to grant the sick days was uh, was defeated. So, you know, folks like Bernie Sanders, but also Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio. These are people that you don't see on the same side of anything. And, and uh, Bernie Sanders actually joked to Ted Cruz on the Senate floor and said, "I always knew you were a socialist." Um, you know, when uh, when they voted for this, but there are a lot of folks out there that are pretty upset that uh, the government has you know, forced a contract that wasn't necessarily a compromise. Um, no, it was, it was the contract that got, that basically got voted down. Right. And and what happened to, you know, small government and keep government out of business, right? right? And let let business regulate itself and let the, let the marketplace take care of it. And capitalism, 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 no socialism. Well, here we have, you know, literally the government stepping in and saying, you are going to go to work. You're going to go back to work. I, and I'll tell you something that, you know, take a step back in Ontario a couple of months ago the Ontario teachers decided they were going to strike mm-hmm. I, I think either Ontario had a law or passed a law that didn't allow teachers to strike you know what the teachers did 
Went on strike anyway. They went on strike anyway. (laughs) 55,000 of them went on strike. And at the end of the day, refused to go back to work until that law was rescinded. Law was rescinded. They won their strike and they went back to work. That is power. That is solidarity. For sure. And what I'm telling the uh, railroad workers is to um, go on strike. (laughs) I'm not saying to violate the law. I'm just saying don't show up to work. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how you say it either. I will tell you, let's go back also a few years ago. The last time this happened, I think, was in the 90s, I want to say. And it was either 80s or 90s. I think it was in the 90s. And it was in the airline industry. Once again, mm-hmm. in the transportation industry, you know, a strike will cripple the economy, ah, blah, blah, And, you know, you can't strike. And I think the pilots ended up, you know, having some sort of sick out or, or something along those lines, and they got jammed up for it, and I think they got sued by the airlines because it allegedly came from the union, like, hey, everybody call in sick or something like that. Right. Um, yeah, you can't I, do a, con- a that's right. concerted union, activity Yeah, the like union that. can't tell its employees not to go to work, especially after a law like this has been passed. But, you know, what a shame that, you know, here, here are... It just... It's mind-boggling to me that here you have the Democrats, right? right that... You know, kind of like we've heard already, some of some of you know the, the labor leaders here have said whether you're Dem or, or Republican, you know, infrastructure has been fantastic for us, mm-hmm. right? And that was passed by the Dems, but they can't get out of their own damn way. Well, th- there were Democrats and there were Republicans who voted against this, who stated their reason as they were concerned about the precedent that would be set if um, Congress created new terms or brokered a compromise or just you know forced a you know, the terms of a, of a deal it could of go good to the workers benefit it could go against them but at the end of the day um the whole reason that this strike couldn't be allowed to happen was because these workers are so essential that if they don't show up to work the the national economy loses two billion dollars every single day so if they're that essential i mean talk about an essential group of workers can we give them some sick days? Yeah, if they're, that's right. If they're if they're so if they're so essential as to affect the economy in in such a way that literally it would come to a grinding halt, then how about passing legislation that gives them what they're looking for instead of just shoving it down their throat and go 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 back to work? It's just a, it's just tone deaf by the Dems. Period. Well, the end. You're listening to 720 WGN Workers Mike. You're listening to The Worker's Mic, powered by the Midwest Coalition of Labor and sponsored by Megan Financial, Premise Health, and Voya Financial. Welcome back, everyone, to The Worker's Mic on 720 WGN. I'm Ken. He's Ed. Hey, we want to talk real quick about what's happening in China, of all places. Have you seen these China protests? Yeah, it's it's remarkable because they've started out kind of small, but any sort of protest in China is so dangerous (laughs) for the people that are doing it. I mean... They're photographing and filming everybody throughout the, the day. Face, facial recognition. Yeah, and like, if, I, you don't mess around in China. If you walk out on the street in one of these protests, yeah. they know who you are, where you live, who your family members are immediately. So anybody who's out there doing this, it is unbelievably brave what yeah. they're doing. Yeah, and kudos to them for doing it. And I heard that they're holding up blank signs. Well, yeah, it's it's been kind of the most powerful image uh, and symbol from this whole thing is they're, they're out there and the signs that they're holding up in protest are blank. And, and what are they protesting? Um, they're protesting. What it started off with was um, there was a fire in a building, um, you know, in the outskirts in Western China. And because the COVID protocols are with the zero COVID thing are yeah. so stringent, um, the firefighters were not able to get into the building in, you know, in the small amount of time that they should have been. And 10 people died. Oof. So people across China could relate to this because in China, if somebody in a, in a building is suspected to have COVID, 
they'll lock the building down from the inside. You know, the, with the person in there, with with a whole building full of people in there. They'll deliver food, all this kind of stuff. But across China, this has just been driving everybody nuts. So when they saw these people die, some folks got out in the street, and it started off with "Let's get rid of this zero COVID," yeah. and then it start it, it continued on to uh, Communist Party of China stepped down, and then it uh, went to Xi Jinping. The um, you know, the, the head of the Communist Party, it went to him, please step down, which is an outrageously bold thing to say in China. Um, but, you know, as people grew bold and felt a little bit more empowered, these protests have grown. And again, they're out there with uh, with the blank signs just to show we don't have a voice. We can't speak. You know, we can't come out and say this because of the way that kind this of puts things run. in perspective for us here in America. Right? right. I mean, we take for granted the free speech that we have. And in, in, in labor parlance, we have tools at our disposal. Right. We, we pick it and we banner and, you know, we we do what we do. But we have one indispensable tool. And that tool's name is. Scabby the Rat. Scabby. <laughs> Scabby Our is extremely, extremely inflatable friend. He's very, very popular. So let's let's talk about Scabby for a couple of minutes because it really is first of all it's fascinating it, yeah. to me. I I'm I'm always fascinated. It's always a big hit with uh especially the kids. Kids love Scabby. For sure. Everybody loves Scabby. <laughs> if unless except he's the, in except front of your, lawyer, yeah. yeah. Unless he's in front of your business. Yeah. If he's in front of your business, you're not too enamored with a giant inflatable rat that's you know bloody teeth and paws and scabs on its belly Ugh, is that what that is i thought it even has like the teats or something that's disgusting yeah Any- i'm not sure i'll have to take another look but well, uh, yeah. but what we're talking about is the inflatable rat that from time to time you'll see either on a construction site or just out in front of a business um you know and it's belovedly known as scabby and it's something that originated in chicago at the operating engineers local 150 in 1988 and if I remember correctly, reading all about the folklore, because this was before my time even in Chicago, there was there used to be people that would wear an actual rat costume. Right. Before there were inflatable rats, <laughs> yeah. a stagehand made rat costumes, <laughs> like what you'd see on a Broadway production. Right. Um, but it didn't last for very long, because as you can imagine, these things are not very washable. You can't just throw it in a washing machine. They're being used in the middle of the summer, in the heat. Every day, all day. So you can only imagine that these would get pretty gamey. And they did. It was like, you know, a new hire type of a, you know, get the new guy, put him in the rat suit type yeah. of thing. <laughs> and they, had a, they also had a scab tracker car, right, with a rat, uh, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and post or a, pic, a picture of a rat painted on the car. And eventually, my understanding is that there was a, a tiny, tiny rat was made and put on top of the car. Right, and it was called Mr. Rat. It was called Mr. Rat. Yeah, and then but, there was a – this all, again, started at Local 150 by then-organizing director Jim Sweeney. Um, and after a while, they determined that the, the rat needed a name, so they put it out in the Local 150 newspaper. Um, and uh, a member named Lou Mahue submitted the name Scabby and won himself not only a Local 150 jacket, but a place in labor history by creating – this character we knowingly love is Scabby the Rat. That's really, really cool. I, did, I, I didn't know that, that somebody named him. Right. It was one guy, and we tried to track him down a couple of years ago just to see if he, if he knew and if his family knew, and we weren't able to find uh, find anybody connected with him, and he had passed. But oh. we'll never know the uh, the impact that he had. But, yeah, Scabby is is a symbol of free speech um, you know, on, on job sites, and it, it's just a tool to attract attention because when – 
you're standing on a picket line with a sign. The sign doesn't say much, and it can't say much. So what you want is people to come over and say, hey, what's going on here? Hey, what, what, what's happening to these employees? What's this company doing? And an inflatable rat is a great way to get people to come over and say, what's going on? And so correct me if I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. the Trump administration, you know, we just, uh, we just got finished uh, bashing the Biden administration. We might as well equally bash for a second. Equal opportunity yeah. bashers. The Only Trump fair. administration literally uh, tasked the National Labor Relations Board, which, by the way, is, is supposed to be uh, protecting workers' rights, um, with getting rid of scabby. They were literally going to try and outlaw a balloon. Right, right. Saying that it wasn't a tool of free speech, that it was coercive, that it was threatening, that it was scary. Yeah. Big, scary yeah, balloon. Yeah, well, it is scary. <laughs> well, I mean, free speech has been has been defended, um, you know, in and expanded. I mean, look at Citizens United when we gave corporations corporations or people right they right get, well, they but why, why is not a inflatable rat a person well exactly it, right it's I mean, the stupidest thing i i gotta go backwards and, and tell you the story um when i first got to local 150 you know a million years ago one of the first things that i was tasked with doing was trying to organize golf course workers didn't go particularly well um but we were picketing at uh, a place in Orland Park. I want to say it was uh, it was a golf course down there with a, a community that lived at the golf course. And needless to say, they were not thrilled to see Scabby standing mm-hmm. up in front of their um, in front of their you know entrance to their uh, gated community. And it was on a Sunday, and I got a call from one of my picketers and said, "Hey, the Cook County Police." are here along, I think, with the Orland Park police, and they're mm-hmm. telling us to take Scabby down. And I said, don't. Right. And they said, well, they're going to arrest Scabby. <laughs> <laughs> are they going to, are they literally going to arrest him and take him to jail? And the guy's like, yeah, they're, they're going to deflate him and take him to jail is what they tell him. I said, like, great. <laughs> let, let him, you know, deflate Scabby and take him to jail. So they did. The, the cops did. And I believe he went to the Orland Park police station and Scabby was behind bars. Right. And, you know, so... It was like, oh, Jesus, now what? So in typical building trades fashion, and it was 150, but I remember the Teamsters were there and the carpenters and laborers, electricians, and the, a ton of trades were there. We brought down several hundred people, maybe even like three, four, five hundred people, and we blew up five more rats in mm-hmm. front of the Orland Park Police Department. We had people wear the old scabby right. costumes, and we had free scabby signs. The free scabby fest. That's right. And so we picketed the police station with right. scabby right in Orland Park. <laughs> and so you want to talk about drawing attention, right? Like, oh, come on, let's arrest all these scabbies, right? And so then, President Business Manager Bill Dugan, you know, drove his his you know badass Cadillac, you know, through the you know throng and and they loaded scabby back into his uh, to the trunk of his car and 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 we freed scabby and everybody's like yeah you know scabby's free and we we went back to the hall and we blew him up and we had we had fun with it um but then you know we did we sued orland park and cook county for violating first amendment rights that's exactly right and that is the power of in my humble opinion the building trades and it's the power of you know, strong unions and unions that are not going to get pushed around and that play offense rather than that's just exact, defense. That's exactly right. right. Much like the, to everyone. Yeah, much like the Workers' Rights Amendment. And we sued. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and everybody's like, "Oh my God, what are you doing? Like, you, you got your rat back, and you know, why why are you doing this? And mm-hmm. Isn't that a waste of everybody's time and effort?" And I'm no. going to read you. No, of course not. <laughs> you know, and yeah, and, and plus, it's fun, and that's why we have on staff attorneys, right? Yeah, I mean, running around with an inflatable rat, it's fun, but at the same time, it's extremely important, and you'll get into get into you know the legal status of this rat. So, so we sued based on First Amendment, and you know, it was. Um, it went into the Northern District of Illinois, and I'm going to read court. you federal court, um, and I'm going to read you the first line of the decision. And this is from uh, May 4th, 2001, in the District Court, Northern District of Illinois, Judge Castillo. He says, in his opinion, the very first line, it would be easy to minimize the significance of this case by disclosing that a central part of this dispute involves an inflatable rat figure (laughs) that's the first line and then he goes on to say yet this case involves important principles of labor picketing which are protected by the first amendment right to free speech and assembly now that is very very simple under you know just an amazing first line and from there on out scabby had first amendment free speech rights that were guaranteed by a federal district court uh, the building trades and everybody that used Scabby would take copies of this decision. Right. And when the cops came and said, take Scabby down, they would just get handed a copy of this and said, you want to be sued? Right. Happy and, to sue you. And this was tried in other circuits. Um, it was tried in various state courts. And in every single case, it was easily determined. Judges all across the country said, yeah, this is very, very clearly protected free speech. So when Trump's NLRB general counsel Peter Robb came in and just said, I don't like the rat. We got to make the rat go away. Lawsuits were filed against unions across the country who were using the rat. And it took a couple of years and an awful lot of resources, time, effort, money on the union's behalf to defend this. But they were victorious in every single one. Um, So for, as you said, since 2001, I mean, 21 years now, we're talking about the legal battle over this inflatable rat. Um, So when you see people fighting out in the street in China for the right to say anything or have free speech. You know, don't forget the tools of free speech that we have here in America. And one of them that we love in the labor movement, of course, is Scabby the Rat. He's a friend to workers. Absolutely. He's out there fighting. And when, and when you see Scabby, give a little honk, give a wave, you know, yeah. give a little thumbs up out the window because he's, he's out there fighting for your rights. Right. You are listening to The Worker's Mic right here on 720 WGN. You're listening to The Worker's Mic, powered by the Midwest Coalition of Labor and sponsored by Megan Financial, Premise Health, and Voya Financial. All right, everybody. We are back at 720 WGN with The Worker's Mic. I'm Ed, here with Ken Edwards. How's it going? Oh, it's going fantastic. We've uh, had a really good show today. Yeah, it's interesting. This is our first show without actually having a guest, um, just literally talking. And, you know, I've enjoyed it. I hope the listeners... That uh, makes one of us... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, you're also sitting way too close to me. Yeah, well, that's my style. It's creepy. I've got bad, bad ears. And staring at me, too, in a really creepy way. I'm big on eye contact. I know you are. I don't really like it. So I'm going to keep doing I it. I want to say that um, after the last show where we had a worker on from Walmart, Trader Joe's, and then uh, Tiffany from the UFCW, mm-hmm. um, I actually got phone calls, which is probably the first or second time now that after the show aired, I got calls on my um, 
on 1-800-433-2099, which again is the uh, Midwest Coalition of Labor's um, phone. And I also got a couple of uh, emails through our webpage so they can contact you and ask a question and things like that. But I got a number of calls um, about Walmart in particular. Right. And it really seemed to me that, you know, everybody that was on the show, uh, including the guy from Trader Joe's, did a really good job of explaining, you know, why they're looking to unionize and, and why their working conditions aren't what they want them to be and how it's affecting their, their lives. Mm-hmm. And so people are calling and, you know, of course I'm talking about it, but, you know, I think at some point a union is going to step in there and take care of this, I hope. Um, and I'm happy to help, like I said, and, and I really am. But the phone has been ringing, and it, it was it was really nice to hear that people are actually listening and taking advantage of, of what you and I are doing at on this show. Which right, is, that show I, I heard from a lot of people on that as well. Just um, you know, who didn't work in retail or haven't worked in retail for a long time, and um, you know, it, it struck them sort of how out of control those workers' conditions really are. They're just, they show up to work and they get what they get. You forget, you know, like where you and I come from, we continue this sort of like we're blinders on coming from the building trades, which is, you know, very strong unions and and very strong working conditions and, you know, contracts and pensions. And we have all these bells and whistles. And you forget that when you walk into a store like Walmart, you know, these people are struggling and, and scrambling for childcare. And, you know, uh, some of them are forced to use, you know, food stamps and, mm-hmm. and go to food banks. And it just, it, it, it's abysmal. And they don't know that there is even an option for, for trying to get something better. So, I mean, I think from from that show and having Tiffany from UFCW Local 4, 1546, she was excellent. And, you know, that was some of what I had heard was I didn't realize, you know, that there were actually resources like this out there. So being able to make those connections between workers and a union or or you know, help somebody with a simple question um, is that's why we're here. Yeah, I think it's important. You know, people don't realize that, you know, there is an avenue to, to collectively bark and there is an avenue to make your, your work life better. And, you know, just a, a one back to the workers rights amendment, it gives workers the rights, to, the right to collectively bargain with or without a union. Right. Five people can go to the boss and go, we want to bargain with you. Mm-hmm. And, and my take on, on the workers' rights amendment gives them that right, period, the end, constitutionally, right here in the state of Illinois. And you don't need to go through all the machinations of joining the union, getting cards signed, going to an election, withstanding a, you know, a union busting campaign, et cetera, et cetera, things that we'll, we'll be talking about you know, here in the future. But I think that you, know, you can start now, but a lot of people didn't realize that, wait a second, I can organize as well. And you know, of course, they are looking at the Starbucks and the Amazons, and we you know, beat that to death and and will continue to do so but you you will see a a walmart in my humble opinion uh join a union i think it's going to break through and it'd be wonderful to see it right here in chicago which is you know one of the strongest labor towns in the country right yeah chicago is home to more local ones than any other city in america it's the the home of the american labor movement which is local one meaning what i mean just the the, like local local one meaning meaning the first local of Blank of an international, union. right? Yeah. Like uh, Unite here, the the hotel employees, restaurant employees, they've got a local one. There are a number of local ones. Uh, Chicago Teachers Union, um, I, I believe they're a local one. Um, there there are more local ones in Chicago than any other city. That's, um, that's pretty cool, right? And and other places where you see um, the strength of unions and therefore the strength of workers being rolled back, even places like New York and Los Angeles, where it had had always been strong. Chicago is, um, you know, is is leading the country when it comes to 
uh, to workers' rights. And Illinois, you know, passing the workers' rights amendment, it was a strong symbol. So hopefully some of that will reverse. And like um, we said earlier, I mean, look, you know, labor has to get on the offense, right. stop playing defense, mm-hmm. right? get on the offense, go get these workers, go organize, you know, labor, you know, I'm, I'm talking about institutional labor, get out there, get on the street, right. put, pump money into organizing, stop pumping money into politics, because politics is not the answer, as we just saw with the rail strike, uh, the railroad workers, and that thing getting shoved down our throat. Politics is not, it's certainly a space that we want to be in, but I think, my humble opinion, the, the money's better spent organizing, right? Self-help. Right. But at the at the lowest level, um, the most grassroots level of organizing, if you're a worker and you're just you have a question, a simple question, or you want to talk a little bit more about this, you don't have a plan, you don't even know if you want a plan, you just have some questions. Anybody who's out there who has a question, who wants to talk, we're here to to help workers and to try to help workers help themselves. Um, so you can find the workers' mic, and that's. M-I-C, the workers, Mike, no apostrophe. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. TikTok. All of them. I don't think we have any videos yet, but we're working on it. And all of them have the handle at the workers, Mike. We'd really love to hear from anybody. Yeah, and we'll take criticism. We'll take suggestions. You know, you want to hear hear us talk about something? Send us a message. Yeah, less Ken, more Ed. I mean, I get it. I get it. (laughs) But for now, for this week, once again, hit us up on those social media outlets, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, at The Workers Mike. That's all for us. I'm Ken Edwards. He's Ed Maher. And this is The Workers Mike, powered by the Midwest Coalition of Labor. The preceding episode of The Workers Mike was powered by the Midwest Coalition of Labor and sponsored by Megan Financial, Premise Health, and Voya Financial. For additional information and podcasts of The Workers Mike, visit WGNRadio.com.